What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Guys, what's going on with me? Nothing. Still nothing. Literally nothing to report. Uh, I've sort of picked the next book I think I'm going to read. The Picture of Dorian Gray. A classic that I've read before a long time ago. Um, but mostly forgot. Uh, I think it's fitting to my life now that I own this home. That I have an attic where I keep a photo of myself that becomes more disgusting and evil looking as time goes on. While I stay young and beautiful forever. Uh, besides that, nothing. Um, Ben came over yesterday and we recorded, uh, chapters one through five of The Subtle Knife. Um, and that's about it. There's really nothing else. My daughters are going to be going to Canada with their mother, uh, for like a week. And, um, she's taking my Kindle. So, I either have to read books of the paper variety, or, um... On my phone, which probably would be a lot easier. It's tougher to drag a paper book around with you when you're going to the bathroom in a public place or whatever. So that's pretty much it. There's literally nothing else going on. So let's go on to the story. Oh, except that I did want to point out that there's still somebody from the Republic of Lithuania in Vilnius that's been listening Uh, thanks. Don't know why you'd still be listening, but it seems like you're pretty consistent. So thank you. Uh, maybe I dedicate this last chapter of Metamorphosis to you. My only fan. Also, there may or may not be inappropriate content for kids or really sensitive adults. It's public domain books for the most part that I'm reading, so um, I think it's probably pretty safe and you should probably shouldn't worry about it. But I don't read any of this stuff before I start doing the podcast, so I'm kind of learning about the book as you do. And uh, if anything really cool happens that's sexual in nature or involves a lot of swearing, I'm going to be pretty impressed, just like you and maybe your kid in the back seat. And with that, enjoy this episode of Leaves of Glen. I am Glenn Nuzzles. So where did we leave off last time? Uh, Gregor, Gregor, was learning to move around his room. His sister fed him. He, uh, she learned that he likes cheese and other things that are rotting and gross. And for some reason his mom wanted to see him. Uh, and they decided to take all his furniture out of his room so he could crawl around and get up on the wall more. Uh, 
A sad, a very sad sort of imagery is how Gregor keeps looking out the window of his bedroom onto the street for hours on end, kind of propping himself up. That's pretty sad. Uh, but still, the sister's kind of grossed out when she sees him. Um, and the shame he feels where he has to hide underneath the uh, couch and pull a blanket over the couch so they can hide himself so that she'll clean the room and do whatever she's got to do. My first thought, they're not mentioning in this story, is uh, bugs poop. I've seen it happen. One time I caught a weird little bug in a cup and I left him there for a little bit for like 20 minutes as I was trying to do something before I released him outside. And boy, that cup was full of tiny little black dots. And that was the uh, poor little bug freaking out and pooping everywhere because he couldn't escape. Uh, Gregor's poops have to be man-sized and they have to be all over the bedroom. So that's something that Kafka either thought of and didn't really want to uh, elaborate on or I don't know. But I think that's kind of a... As far as his sister and the sacrifice she's making by feeding him and in a way caring for him but still being completely grossed out by him and not wanting to get too close to him, there should have been the aspect of poop everywhere that she had to clean. That would have just really added the cherry on top as far as her internal conflict goes. But so far, great story. Uh, Gregor and his motivations are uh, not too deeply explained, but you still side with him. And uh, through his physical actions, you begin to have empathy for what he's going through. Uh, thankfully, he stopped thinking about his job all the time. And is just sort of thinking about how he can not be a pain to his family, which I'm sure reflects upon his personal life as well. So let's get on to chapter three. Gregor's serious wound from which he... Oh, that's the other thing I totally forgot. He, as they're moving furniture out, he was fine with it, but he wanted his writing desk, his last sort of extension of his old humanity. He wanted it, and he was trying to protect it, but the one thing he really wanted above all else was the picture of the attractive lady on the beach. Um, they uh, were taking everything out, and he couldn't stop them, but he climbed up on the wall and covered up that picture, and uh, it felt good on his soft belly. So there's probably an angle there, uh, symbolically, that he was going for, but that was the final straw. That freaked everybody out, scared the mom. Mom tipped over and passed out and whatever, and the dad got angry. He works. He's got a job, finally. Lazy, lazy son of a gun. They uh, even talked about how he barely ever got out of bed and stuff, but now that Gregor couldn't pay off his debts, his dad's and mom's debts or whatever, uh, the dad finally got up and was useful for once in his life. So there's a person you can dislike in the story. He starts throwing apples at Gregor, trying to get Gregor back in his room. And because um, he escaped, he scooched out into like the hallway or the sister's room or whatever. And so, yep, throwing uh, apples and one of them gets lodged in his back or whatever. So that's where we left off as Gregor has been shunned and abused by his father. So Gregor's serious wound from which he suffered for over a month. Since no one ventured to remove the apple, it remained in his flesh as a visible reminder, seemed by itself to have reminded the father that in spite of his present unhappy and hateful appearance, Gregor was a member of the family, something one should not treat as an enemy. 
and that it was, on the contrary, a requirement of family duty to suppress one's aversion and to endure. Nothing else, just endure. And if through his wound, Gregor had now apparently lost for good his ability to move and for the time being needed many, many minutes to crawl across the room like an aged invalid. So far as creeping up high was concerned, that was unimaginable. Nevertheless, for this worsening of the condition, in his opinion, he did get completely satisfactory compensation because every day toward evening, the door to the living room, which he was in the habit of keeping a sharp eye on, even one or two hours beforehand, was opened so that he, lying down in the darkness of his room, invisible from the living room, could see the entire family at the illuminated table and listen to their conversation. To a certain extent, with their common permission, a situation quite different from what had happened before. Of course, it was no longer the animated social interaction of former times which Gregor in a small hotel room had always thought about with a certain longing when, tired out, he had to throw himself into the damp bedclothes. For the most part, what went on now was very quiet. After the evening meal, the father fell asleep quickly in his armchair. The mother and sister talked guardedly to each other in the stillness. Bent far over, the mother sewed fine undergarments for a fashion shop. Oh, she got a job, too. The sister, who had taken on a job as a salesgirl in the evening, studied stenography and French, so as perhaps later to obtain a better position. Sometimes the father woke up, and as if he was quite ignorant that he had been asleep, said to the mother, How long have you been sewing today? And went right back to sleep, while the mother and the sister smiled tiredly to each other. With a sort of stubbornness, the father refused to take off his servant's uniform. Even at home, and while his sleeping gown hung unused on the coat hook, the father dozed, completely dressed in his place, as if he was always ready to take his responsibility, and even here was waiting for the voice of his superior. As a result, in spite of all the care of the mother and sister, his uniform, which even at the start was not new, grew dirty, and Gregor looked, often for the entire evening, at his clothing. With stains all over it, and with his gold buttons always polished, in which the old man, although very uncomfortable, slept peacefully nonetheless. As soon as the clock struck ten, the mother tried gently encouraging the father to wake up, and then persuading him to go to bed on the ground that he could get a proper sleep here, and that the father, who had to report for service at six o'clock, really needed a good sleep. But in his stubbornness, which had gripped him since he had become a servant, he insisted always on staying even longer by the table, although he regularly fell asleep and then could only be prevailed upon with the greatest difficulty to trade his chair for a bed. No matter how much the mother and sister might at that point work on him with small admirations, for a quarter of an hour he would remain, shaking his head slowly, his eyes closed without standing up. The mother would pull him by the sleeve and speak flattering words into his ear. The sister would leave her work to help mother, but that would not have the desired effect on the father. He would settle himself even more deeply into his armchair, only when the two women grabbed him under the armpits 
would he throw his eyes open, look back and forth at the mother and sister, and habitually say, This is a life. This is the peace and the quiet of my old age. And propped up by both women, he would heave himself up elaborately, as if for him it was the greatest trouble. Allow himself to be led to the door by the women, wave them away there, and proceed on his own from there, while the mother quickly threw down her sewing implements and the sister her pen in order to run after the father and help him in some more. In this overworked and exhausted family who had time to worry uh, any longer about Gregor more than was absolutely necessary, the household was constantly getting smaller. The servant girl was now let go. A huge, wow, they could afford, I forgot that they could afford a servant girl on uh, Gregor's salary. A huge, bony cleaning woman with uh, white hair flying all over her head came in the morning and evening to do the heaviest work. The mother took care of everything else, in addition to her considerable sewing work. It even happened that various pieces of family jewelry, which previously the mother and sister had overjoyed to wear on social and festive occasions, were sold, as Gregor found out in the evening from the general discussion of the pieces they had fetched. But the greatest compliment was always that they could not leave this apartment, which was too big for their present means, since it was impossible to imagine how Gregor might be moved, but Gregor fully recognized that it was not just consternation for him, with which prevented a move, for he could have uh, been transported easily in a suitable box with a few air holes. The main, this has been highlighted by 22 people, the main thing holding the family back from a change in living quarters was far more their complete hopelessness and the idea that they had been struck by misfortune like no one else in their entire circle of relatives and acquaintances. What the world demands of poor people, they now carried out to an extreme degree. The father brought breakfast to the petty officials at the bank. The mother sacrificed herself for the undergarments of strangers. The sister, behind her desk, was at the beck and call of customers. But the family's uh, energies did not extend any further. And the wound in his back began to pain Gregor all over again. When now mother and sister, after they had escorted their father to bed, came back, let their work lie, moved closer, and sat cheek to cheek. And when his mother would now say, pointing to Gregor's room, close the door, greet. And then Gregor was again in darkness. While close by, the women mingled their tears, or quite dry-eyed stared at the table. Gregor spent his nights and days with hardly any sleep. Sometimes he thought that the next time the door opened, he would just take over the family arrangements, just as he had earlier. In his uh, imagination appeared again after a long time, his employer and supervisor and the apprentices, an excessively spineless custodian, two or three friends and from other businesses, a chambermaid from a hotel in the provinces, a loving, fleeting memory, a female cashier from the hat shop, whom he had seriously but too slowly courted. They all appeared, mixed in with strangers or people he had already forgotten, but instead of helping him and his family, they were all unapproachable, and he was happy to see them disappear. But when he was in no mood to worry about his family, he was filled with sheer anger over the wretched care he was getting. Even though he couldn't imagine anything which he might have an appetite for, still, he made plans about how he could take from the larder what he at all account deserved, even if he wasn't hungry. Without thinking any more about 
how they might be able to give Gregor special pleasure. The sister now kicked some food or other very quickly into his room in the morning and at noon before she ran off to her shop. And in the evening, quite indifferent to whether the food had perhaps only been tasted or what happened more frequently, remained entirely undisturbed. She whisked it out with one sweep of her broom. The task of cleaning his room, which she now always carried out in the evening, could not be done any more quickly. Streaks of dirt ran along the walls. Here and there lay tangles of dust and garbage. At first, when his sister arrived, Gregor positioned himself in a particularly filthy corner in order with his posture to make something of a protest. But he could have, well, stayed there for weeks without his sister changing her ways. In fact, she perceived the dirt as much as he did. But she decided just to let it stay. In this business, with a touchiness, which is quite new to her and which had generally taken over the entire family, she kept watch to see that the cleaning of Gregor's room remained reserved for her. Once his mother had undertaken a major cleaning of Gregor's room, which she had only completed successfully after using a few buckets of water, but the extensive dampness made Gregor sick and lay supine, embittered and immobile on the couch. However, the mother's punishment was not delayed for long, for in the evening the sister had hardly observed the change in Gregor's room before she ran into the living room mightily offended, and, in spite of her mother's hand lifted high in entreaty, broke out in a fit of crying. Her parents and father had, of course, woken up with a start in his armchair, at first looked at her in astonished and helpless, until they started to get agitated. Turning to his right, the father heaped reproaches on the mother that she was not to take over the cleaning of Gregor's room from the sister, and turning to his left, he shouted at the sister that she would no longer be allowed to clean Gregor's room ever again. While the mother tried to pull the father beside himself in his excitement into the bedroom, the sister, shaken by her crying fit, pounded on the table with her tiny little fists. And Gregor hissed at all this, angry that no one thought about shutting the door and sparing him the sight of this commotion. But even when the sister, exhausted from her daily work, had grown tired of caring for Gregor as she had before, even then, the mother did not have to come at all on her behalf, and Gregor did not have to be neglected. For now the cleaning woman was there, this old widow, who in her long life must have managed to survive the worst with the help of her bony frame, had no real horror for Gregor. Without being in the least curious, she had uh, by chance opened Gregor's door. At the sight of Gregor, who, totally surprised, began to scamper here and there, although no one was chasing him, she remained standing with her hands folded across her stomach, staring at him. Since then, she did not fail to open the door furtively a little more, or a little every morning, and, and even uh, to, to look in on Gregor. At first, she also called him to her with her words, which she presumably thought were friendly, like, come here for a bit. Old dung beetle, or hey, look at the old dung beetle. <laughs> Addressed in such a manner, Gregor answered nothing, but remained motionless in his place as if the door had not opened at all. If only instead of allowing this cleaning woman to disturb him uselessly whenever she felt like it, they had given her orders to clean up his room every day! Exclamation point. One day in the early morning, a hard downpour, perhaps already a sign of the coming spring, struck the window panes. When the cleaning woman started up once again with her usual conversation, eh, Gregor was so bitter that he turned toward her as if for an attack, although slowly and weakly. 
Instead of being afraid of him, the cleaning woman merely lifted up a chair, standing close by the door, and as she stood there with her mouth wide open, her intention was clear. She would close her mouth only when the chair in her hand had been thrown down on Gregor's back. This goes no further, all right, she asked, as Gregor turned himself around again, and she placed the chair calmly back in the corner. Gregor ate hardly anything anymore. Only when he chanced to move past the food which had been prepared did he, as a game, take a bit into his mouth, hold it there for hours, and generally spit it out again. (laughs) At first he thought it might be his sadness over the condition of his room which kept him from eating, but he very soon became reconciled to the alterations in his room. People had grown accustomed to put into storage in his room things that they couldn't put anywhere else. And at this point... There were many such things, now that they had rented one room of the apartment to three lodgers. These solemn gentlemen, all three had full beards, as Gregor once found out through a crack in the door, were meticulously intent on tidiness, not only in their own room, but since they had now rented a room here in the entire household, and particularly in the kitchen, they simply did not tolerate any useless or shoddy stuff. Moreover, For the most part, they had brought with them their own pieces of furniture. Thus, many items had been become superfluous. And these were not really things one could sell or things people wanted to throw out. All these items ended up in Gregor's room. Even the box of ashes and the garbage pail from the kitchen. The cleaning woman, always in a hurry, simply flung anything that was momentarily useless into Gregor's room. Fortunately, Gregor generally saw only the relevant object and the hand which held it. The cleaning woman, perhaps, was intending when time and opportunity allowed to take the stuff out again or to throw everything all out at once. But in fact, the things remained lying there, wherever they had ended up at the first throw, unless Gregor squirmed his way through the accumulation of junk and moved it. At first, he was forced to do this because otherwise there was no room for him to creep around. But later he did it with growing pleasure, Although after such movements, tired to death and feeling wretched, he didn't uh, budge for hours. Because the lodgers sometimes also took their evening meal at home in the common living room, the door to the living room stayed shut on many evenings. But Gregor had no trouble at all, going without the open door. Already on many evenings when it was open, he had not availed himself of it, but... Without the family noticing, he was stretched out in the darkest corner of the room. However, once the cleaning woman had left the door to the living room slightly ajar, and it remained open even when the lodgers came in the evening and the lights were put on, they sat down at the head of the table, where in earlier days the mother, the father, and Gregor had eaten and folded their servettes and picked up their knives and forks, the mother immediately appeared in the door with a dish of meat, and right behind her sister, the dish piled high with potatoes. The food it gave off a lot of steam. The gentlemen lodgers bent over their plates set before them as if they wanted to check it before eating, and in fact, one who sat in the middle, for the other two seemed to serve as an authority, cut off a piece of meat steel on the, still on the plate, obviously to establish whether it was sufficiently tender and whether not something should be shipped back to the kitchen. He was satisfied, and mother and sister, who had looked on in suspense, began to breathe easily and uh, smile. The family itself ate in the kitchen, 
In spite of that, before the father went into the kitchen, he came into the room and with a single bow, cap in hand, made a tour of the table. The lodgers rose up collectively and murmured something in their beards. When they were alone, they ate almost in complete silence. It seemed odd to Gregor that, out of all the many different sorts of sounds of eating, it was always audible with their chewing teeth, as if by that Gregor should be shown that people needed their teeth to eat and that nothing could be done even with the most handsome, toothless jawbone. I really do have an appetite, Gregor said to himself sorrowfully, but not for those things. How these lodgers stuff themselves and I am dying. On this very evening, the violins sounded from the kitchen. Gregor didn't remember hearing it at all through this period. The lodgers had already ended their night meal. The middle one had pulled out a newspaper and had given each of the other two a page, and uh, they were now leaning back, reading and smoking. When the violins started playing, they became attentive, got up and went on tiptoe to the hall door, at which they remained standing pressed up against one another. They must have been audible from the kitchen because the father called out, Perhaps the gentlemen don't like the play. It can be stopped at once. On the contrary, stated the lodger in the middle, might the young woman not come in to us and play in the room here where it was really much more comfortable and cheerful? Oh, thank you, cried out the father as if he were the one playing the violin. The men stepped back into the room and waited. Soon the father came with the music stand, the mother with the sheet music and the sister with the violin. The sister calmly prepared everything for a recital. The parents, who had never previously rented a room and therefore exaggerated their politeness to the lodgers, dared not sit on their own chairs. The father leaned against the door, his right hand stuck between two buttons of his buttoned-up uniform. The mother, however, accepted a chair offered by one lodger. Since she left the chair, sit where the gentleman had chanced to put it, she sat to one side in the corner. The sister began to play. The father and mother, one on each side, followed attentively the movements of her hands. Attracted by the playing, Gregor had ventured to advance a little further forward. His head was already in the living room. He scarcely wondered about the fact that recently he had had so little consternation for the others. Earlier, this consideration had been something he was proud of. And for that very reason, he would have had at this moment more reason to hide away. Because as a result of the dust which lay all over the room and flew around with the slightest movement, he was totally covered in dirt. On his back and on his sides, he carted around the dust with him. Threads, hair, and remnants of food, his indifference to everything was much too great for him to lie on his back and scour himself on the carpet as he often had done earlier during the day. In spite of this condition, he had no timidity about inching forward a bit on the spotless floor of the living room. In any case, no one paid him any attention. The family was all caught up in the violin playing. The lodgers, by contrast, who for the moment had placed themselves, hands in their trouser pockets, behind the stand, much too close to the sisters, so that they could all see the sheet music, something that must certainly bother the sister, soon drew back to the window, conversing in low voices with bowed heads, where they then remained, worriedly observed by the father. It now seemed really clear that, having assumed that they were to hear a beautiful and entertaining violin recital, they were disappointed and were allowing their 
peace and quiet to be disturbed only out of politeness. The way in which they all blew the smoke from their cigars out of their noses and the mouths in particular led uh, one to conclude that they were very irritated. And yet his sister was playing so beautifully. Her face was turned to the side. Her gaze followed the score intently and sadly. Gregor crept forward still a little further, keeping his head close against the floor, in order that uh, to be able to catch her gaze if possible. Was he an animal that music so captivated him? For him, it was as if the way to the unknown nourishment he craved was revealing itself. He was determined to press forward right to his sister, to tug at her dress, to indicate to her in this way that she might still come with her violin into his room, because here no one valued the recital as he wanted to value it. He did not wish to let her go from his room any more, at least not as long as he lived. His frightening appearance would, for the first time, become useful to him. He wanted to be at all the doors of this room simultaneously and snarl back at the attackers. However, his sister should not be compelled, but would remain with him voluntarily. She would sit next to him on the sofa, bend down her ear to him, and he would then confide in her that he firmly intended to send her to the conservatory and that... If his misfortune had not arrived in the interim, he would have declared all this last Christmas. Had Christmas really already come and gone? And would have uh, brooked no argument. After this explanation, his sister would break out in tears of emotion, and Gregor would lift himself up to her armpit and kiss her throat, <laughs> which she, from the time she started going to work, had left exposed without a band or a collar. Mr. Samsa called out the middle lodger to the father and, without uttering a further word, pointed his index finger at Gregor as he was moving slowly forward. The violin fell silent. The middle lodger smiled, first shaking his head once at his friends and then looked down at Gregor once more. Rather than driving Gregor back again, the father seemed to consider it of prime importance to calm down the lodgers, although they were not at all upset, and Gregor seemed to entertain them more than uh, than the violin recital. The father hurried over to them, and, and with outstretched arms tried to push them into their own room and simultaneously to block their view of Gregor with his own body. At this point, they became really somewhat irritated. Although no one knew longer whether that was because of the father's behavior or because of the knowledge that they had just acquired that they had, without knowing it, a neighbor like Gregor. They demanded explanations from the father, raised their arms to make points, and tugged agitatedly at their beards, and moved back toward the room quite slowly. In the meantime, the isolation which had suddenly fallen upon his sister after the sudden breaking off of their recital had overwhelmed her. She had held onto the violin and bow in her limp hands for a little while and continued to look at the sheet music as if she was still playing. All at once she pulled herself together, placed the instrument in her mother's lap. Her mother was still sitting in her chair, having trouble breathing, for her lungs were laboring, and had to run to the next room, which the lodgers, pressured by the father, were already approaching more rapidly. One could observe how under the sister's practice hands the sheets and pillows of the bed were thrown on high and arranged. Even before the lodgers had reached the room, she was finished, fixing the beds and slipping out. The father seemed so gripped, once again, with his stubbornness, that he forgot about the respect which he had already owed his renters. He pressed on and on until the door of the room 
the middle gentleman stamped loudly with his foot and thus brought the father to a standstill. I hereby declare, the middle lodger said, raising his hand and casting his glance both on the mother and the sister, that considering the disgraceful conditions prevailing in this apartment and family, and with this he spat decisively on the floor, I immediately cancel my room. I will, of course, pay nothing at all for the days which I have lived here. On the contrary, I shall think about whether or not I will initiate some sort of action against you, something which, believe me, will be very easy to establish. He fell silent and looked directly in front of him, as if he was waiting for something. In fact, his two friends immediately joined in with their opinions. We also give immediate notice. At that, he seized the door handle, banged the door shut, and locked it. The father groped his way, tottering to his chair, and let himself fall in it. It looked as if he was stretching out for his usual evening snooze with the heavy nodding of his head, which looked as if it was without support. It showed that he was not sleeping at all. Gregor had lain motionless the entire time in the spot where the lodgers had caught him. Disappointment with the collapse of his plan and perhaps also weakness brought on by his severe hunger made it impossible for him to move. He was certainly afraid that the general disaster would break over him at any moment, and he waited. He was not even startled when the violin fell from the mother's lap, out from under her trembling fingers, and gave off a reverberating tone. Well, with that screw-up, let's take a break. And we're going to read about uh, a new book from Penguin Random House. We're going to learn about Brave the Tempest by Karen Chance. It's part of the Cassie Palmer. Just part of the Cassie Palmer? Mm, oh, it's a Cassie Palmer novel, so apparently it's a series of novels. Uh, it's coming out July 30th. Oh, that's today. So you can just go to the store and get it. It's only 576 pages. Uh, this format is not eligible to earn points towards the Reader's Rewards program, so apparently it's not that good of a book. But let's learn about it. Cassie Palmer, ch- chief, chief, seer of the super, I want to say chef really bad, the chef seer. The chief seer of the supernatural world faces her biggest challenge yet. Her own allies. Everything's on the line in this latest thrilling entry of the New York Times best-selling urban fantasy series. Cassie Palmer has been a chief seer of the supernatural world for a little over four months. In that time, she's battled two gods fallen in love with two men, and confronted the two sides of her own nature, both God and human. So it's not surprising that she currently finds herself facing two adversaries, although they have a single purpose, to wipe out the supernatural community's newest fighting force, leaving it vulnerable to enemies in this world and beyond. To prevent the catastrophe, the vamps, nah, mages, and demons will have to do one thing they've never managed to do before and come together as allies. Cassie has the difficult task of keeping the uneasy coalition intact and persuading her own two opposing forces. A powerful mage with a secret and a master vampire with a growing obsession to fight at her side. She just hopes that they can do it without tearing each other apart. <laughs> Let's read about some praise. Pure Fandom, which I imagine is some kind of magazine, says, it's so refreshing to enter a world with mages, vampires, and demons again. 
<laughs> this urban fantasy is heavy on the romance, but the political undertones are super intriguing as well. Oh, you will swoon. You will ship and you won't be able to stop reading. You will ship. Okay. Uh, so that's it for the uh, Brave the Tempest. No one else has any praise for it, uh, but the uh, uh, praise for the Karen Chance and the Cassie Palmer novels in general. Uh, this one's from Patricia Briggs. She's a number one New York Times bestselling author, which apparently everybody is. Uh, so she says, I grab you by the... Th- oh, wow. A grab-you-by-the-throat-and-suck-you-in sort of book with a tough, smart heroine and a sexy, scary vampires. I loved it. Charlie-Ann Harris, another number one New York Times bestselling author. Chance is a true storyteller. Publishers Weekly, which is a real thing, uh, says, Chance's imagination knows no bounds, and fans will find a lot to love in her blend of epic action and private drama. Fresh Fiction says, Another fast-paced, action-packed adventure for Cassie and her friends, and fans will both uh, will find both surprises and thrills in this paranormal story. And the Library Journal, as uh, the final little article of praise, says, there's little that can stand in the face of Chance's engaging heroine. And urban fantasy readers will find this series still running strong. So there you go. Be sure to go to the store and get Brave the Tempest uh, by Karen Chance. It's got a, a, a sultry, blonde-haired woman on the cover with a lot of lightning behind her to show that she is very important. Let's continue reading. My dear parents, said the sister, banging her head on the table by way of an introduction. Things, by her, oh, her hand, I thought it said head. Things cannot go on any longer in this way. Maybe if you don't understand that, well, I do. Eighteen people highlighted, I will not utter my brother's name in front of this monster. And thus I say only that we must try to get rid of it. We have tried what is humanely possible to take care of it and be patient. I believe that no one can criticize us in the slightest. She is right in a thousand ways, said the father to himself. The mother, who was still incapable of breathing properly, began to cough, numbly with her hand held up over her mouth and a maniac expression in her eyes. The sister hurried over to her mother and held her forehead. The sister's words seemed to have led the father to certain reflections. He sat upright played with his uniform hat along the plates, which still lay on the table from the lodger's evening meal, and looked now and then at the motionless Gregor. We must try to get rid of it, the sister now said decisively to the father, for the mother, in her coughing fit, was not listening to anything. It is killing you both. I see it coming. When people have to work as hard as we all do, they cannot also tolerate this endless torment at home. I just can't go on anymore. And she broke out at a, such a crying fit that her tears flowed out down onto her mother's face. She wiped them off, her mother with mechanical motions of her hands. Child, said the father sympathetically and with obvious appreciation. Then what should we do? Eh, the sister only shrugged her shoulders as a sign of perplexity, which, in contrast to her previous confidence, had come over her while she was crying. If only he understood us, said the father in a semi-questioning tone. 
The sister, in the midst of her sobbing, shook her hand energetically as a sign that there was no point thinking of that. If only he understood us, repeated the father, and by shutting his eyes, he absorbed the sister's conviction of the impossibility of this point. Then perhaps some compromise would be possible with him. But as it is, it must be gotten rid of, cried the sister. That is the only way, father. You must try to get rid of the idea that this is Gregor. The fact that we have believed for so long, that is truly our real misfortune. But how can it be, Gregor? If it were Gregor, he would have long ago realized that a communal life among human beings is not possible with such an animal. It would have gone away voluntarily. Then we would not have a brother, and we'd go on living and honor his memory. But this animal plagues us. It drives away the lodgers. It will obviously take over the entire apartment and leave us to spend the night in the alley. Look, just look, father, she suddenly cried out. He's already starting up again. With a fright, which was totally incomprehensible to Gregor, the sister even left the mother, pushed herself away from the chair as if she would sooner sacrifice her mother than to remain in Gregor's vicinity, and rushed behind the father who, excited merely by behavior, also stood up and half raised his arms in front of the sister as though to protect her. But Gregor did not have any notion of wishing to create problems for anyone, and certainly not for his sister. He had just started to turn himself around in order to creep back into the room, quite a startling sight since as a result of his suffering condition he had to guide himself through the difficulty of turning around with his head in the process lifting and banging it against the floor several times he paused and looked around his good intentions seemed to have been recognized the fright which had lasted only for a moment now they looked at him in silence and sorrow his mother lay at her chair with her legs stretched out and pressed together her eyes were almost shut from weariness. The father and sister sat next to one another. The sister had her set her hands around the father's neck. Now, perhaps I can actually turn myself around, thought Gregor, and he began the task again. He couldn't stop puffing at the effort and had to rest now and then. Besides, no one was urging him on. It was all left up to him on his own. When he had completed turning around, he immediately began to wander straight back. He was astonished at the great distance which separated him from his room and did not understand in the least how his weakness he had covered the same distance such a short time before, almost without noticing it. Constantly intent only on creeping along quickly, he hardly paid any attention to the fact that no word or cry from his family interrupted him. Only when he was already in the door did he turn his head. Not completely, because he felt his neck growing stiff. At any rate... He still saw that behind him nothing had changed, only the sister was standing up. His last glimpse brushed over the mother, who was now completely asleep. Hardly was he inside his room when the door was pushed shut very quickly, bolted fast and barred. Gregor was startled by the sudden commotion behind him, so, so much so that his little limbs bent double under him. It was his sister who had been in such a hurry. She had stood up right away and waited and had then sprung forward nimbly. Gregor had not heard anything of her approach. She cried out finally to her parents as she turned the key in the lock. What now? Gregor asked himself and looked around him in the darkness. He soon made the discovery that he could no longer move at all. He was not surprised at that. On the contrary, it struck him unnatural that up to this point he had really been able to up and move around with these thin little legs. Besides, he felt relatively content. True, he had pains throughout his entire body. 
But it seemed to him that they were gradually becoming weaker and weaker and could finally go away completely. The rotten apple in his back and the inflamed surrounding area entirely covered with white dust. He hardly noticed. Twelve people highlighted. He remembered his family with deep feelings of love. In this business, his own thought that he had to disappear was, if possible, even more decisive than his sister's. He remained in this state of empty and peaceful reflection until the tower clock struck three o'clock in the morning. From the window, he witnessed the beginning of the general dawning outside. Then, without willing it, his head sank all the way down, and from his nostrils flowed out weakly his last breath. Aww. Early in the morning, and cleaning woman came. In her sheer energy and haste, she banged all the doors in precisely the way that people have always asked her to avoid, so much so that once she arrived, a quiet sleep was no longer possible anywhere in the, the entire apartment. In her customarily brief visit to Gregor, at first she found nothing special. She thought he lay so immobile there because he wanted to play the offended party. She gave him credit for as complete as an understanding as possible. Since she happened to be holding the long broom in her hand, she tried to tickle Gregor with it from the door. When that was quite unsuccessful, she became irritated and poked Gregor a little. And only when she had shoved him from his place without any resistance did she become attentive. When she quickly realized the true state of affairs, her eyes grew large. She whistled to herself. However, she didn't restrain herself for long. She pulled open the door of the bedroom and yelled in a loud voice into the darkness, Come and look. It's kicked the bucket. It's lying there, totally snuffed. The Samsa, married couple, sat upright in their marriage bed and had to get over their fright at the cleaning one before they managed to grasp her message. But then Mr. and Mrs. Samsa climbed very quickly out of bed, one on either side. Mr. Samsa threw the bedspread over his shoulders. Mrs. Samsa came out only in her nightshirt. And like this, they stepped into Gregor's room. Meanwhile, the door of the living room, in which Greet had slept since the lodgers had arrived on the scene, had also opened. She was fully clothed, as if she had not slept at all. Her white face also seemed to indicate that Dead, said Mrs. Samsa, and looked questioningly at the cleaning woman. Although she could check everything on her own and even understand without a check, I should say so, said the cleaning woman. And by way of proof, poked Gregor's body with the broom a considerable distance more to the side. Mrs. Samsa made a movement as if she wished to restrain the broom, but didn't do it. Well, said Mr. Samsa, now we can give thanks to God. He crossed himself, and the three women followed his example. Greet, who did not take her eyes off the corpse, said, Look how thin he was. He had eaten nothing for such a long time. The meals which came in here came out exactly the same. In fact, Gregor's body was completely flat and dry. That was apparent, really, for the first time. Now that he was no longer raised on his small limbs and nothing else distracted one's gaze, Greet, Come into us for a moment, said Mrs. Samsa with a melancholy smile. And Greet went, not without looking back at the corpse behind her, her parents into the bedroom. The cleaning woman shut the door and opened the window wide. In spite of the early morning, the fresh air was partly tinged with warmth. It was already the end of March. 
The three lodgers stepped out of their room and looked around for their breakfast, astonished that they had been forgotten. "'Where is the breakfast?' asked the middle one of the gentlemen, grumpily to the cleaning woman. However, she laid her finger at her lips and said quickly and silently indicated to the lodgers that they should come into Gregor's room. So they came and stood in the room, which was already quite bright, around Gregor's corpse, their hands in the pockets of their somewhat torn jackets. Then the door of the bedroom opened, and Mr. Samsa appeared in his uniform, with his wife on one arm and his daughter on the other, all were a little tear-stained. Now and then, Greet pressed her face into her father's arm. Get out of my apartment immediately, said Mr. Samsa, and pulled open the door. Without letting go of the woman, what do you mean, said the middle lodger, somewhat dismayed and with a sugary smile. Huh? The two others kept their hands behind them and constantly rubbed them against each other as if in joyful anticipation of a great squabble, which must end up in their favor. I mean exactly what I say, replied Mr. Samsa, and went directly to the two female companions up to the lodger. The latter at first stood there, motionless, and looked at the floor as if matters were arranging themselves in a new way in his head. All right, then, we'll go, he said, and looked up at Mr. Samsa as if suddenly overcome by humility. He was asking fresh permission for the decision. Mr. Samsa merely nodded to him repeatedly with his eyes open wide. Following that, the lodger actually went out with long strides immediately out into the hall. His two friends had already been listening for a while with their hands quite still, and now they hopped smartly after him, as if afraid that Mr. Samsa would step into the hall ahead of them and disturb their reunion with their leader. In the hall, all three of them took their hats from the coat rack and pulled their canes from the cane holder, bowed silently, and left the apartment. In what turned out to be an entirely groundless mistrust, Mr. Samsa stepped with the two women out into the landing, leaned against the railing, and looked over as the three lodgers slowly but steadily made their way down the long staircase disappeared on each floor with a certain turn of the stairwell, and in a few seconds came out again. The deeper they proceeded, the more Samsa family lost interest in them, and when a butcher with a tray on his head came to meet them and then, with a proud bearing, ascended the stairs high above them, Mr. Samsa, together with the women, left the banister, and they all returned as if relieved back to their apartment. They decided to pass that day resting and going for a stroll. Not only had they earned this break from work, but there was no question that they really needed it. And so they sat down at the table and wrote three letters of apology. Mr. Samsa to his supervisor, Miss Samsa to her client, and Greet to her proprietor. During the writing, the cleaning woman came in to say that she was going off for her morning work was finished. The three people writing the at first, merely nodded without glancing up. Only when the cleaning woman was still unwilling to depart, did they look up angrily. Well, asked Mr. Samsa. The cleaning woman stood, smiling in the doorway, as if she had a great stroke of luck to report to the family, but would only do it if she was asked directly. The almost upright small ostrich feather in her hat, which had irritated Mr. Samsa during the entire service, swayed slightly in all directions. All right, then, what do you really want? asked Mrs. Samsa whom the cleaning lady still usually respected. Well, answered the cleaning woman, smiling so happily that she couldn't go on speaking right away. How about that rubbish from the next room? Should be thrown out. You mustn't worry about it. It's all taken care of. Mrs. Samsa and Greet bent down to their letters as though they wanted to go on writing. 
Mr. Samsa, who noticed that the cleaning woman wanted to start describing everything in detail, decisively prevented her with an outstretched hand. But since she was not allowed to explain, she remembered the great hurry she was in and called out clearly insulted, Bye-bye, everyone! turned around furiously and left the apartment with a fearful slamming of the door. This evening, she'll be let go, said Mr. Samsa. But he got no answer from either his wife or from his daughter because the cleaning woman seemed to have upset once again the tranquility they had just attained. They got up, went to the window, and remained there with their arms about each other. Mr. Samsa turned around in his chair in their direction and observed them quietly for a while. Then he called out, All right, come here then. Let's finally get rid of old things. And have a little consideration for me. The woman attuned to him at once. They rushed to him, caressed him, and quickly ended their letters. When all three left the apartment uh, together, something they had not done for months now, and took the electric tram into the open air outside the city. The car in which they were sitting by themselves was totally engulfed in the warm sun. Leaning back comfortably in their seats, they talked to each other about their future prospects and discovered that, on closer observation, these were not all bad. For the three of them had employment, about which they had not really questioned each other at all, which was extremely favorable and especially promising prospects. The greatest improvement in their situation at this moment, of course, had to come from a change of dwelling. Now they wanted to rent an apartment smaller and cheaper, but better situated and generally more practical than the present one, which Gregor had found. While they amused themselves in this way, it struck Mr. and Mrs. Samsa almost at the same moment, how their daughter, who was getting more animated all the time, had blossomed recently, in spite of all the troubles which had made her cheeks pale, into a beautiful and voluptuous young woman. Growing more silent and almost unconsciously understanding each other in their glances, they thought that the time was now at hand to seek out a good, honest man for her. Twelve people highlighted, and it was something of a confirmation of their new dreams and good intentions, when at the end of their journey their daughter got up first and stretched her young body. And that's it. That was The Metamorphosis. By Franz Kafka. Uh, what can we glean from this story? A man wakes up as a bug. He spends most of his time worrying about human things, then eventually accepts his fate and spends a small amount of time getting used to being a bug before he is crippled by his father's rage. Then... The family finally reaches its limits as they try to conduct a life without his sweet, sweet money. And then basically want him dead. And then he realizes he should be dead. So then he dies. After, only after, a moment where he feels love for his sister again. Especially through her performance of playing the violin. Which brings him out against all fears. To uh, be close to her and to hear it. It's a sad story. What does it represent? I have no idea. I was on Instagram and posted up about how I read chapter two and a user jumped on to leave a comment, which is a first for me. And that person said that they 
had learned about this in uh, college, and the professor was saying that uh, it was representative of a trans person uh, trying to find acceptance, and how uh, Gregor climbing up to protect the image of the woman on his wall was the sort of representative of Gregor wanting to be a woman. Uh, maybe I see it more along the lines of him trying to hold on to his humanity. Uh, him being a burden on his family and eventually resigning himself that he is no longer wanted and the family moving on so happily without him seems to say something else uh, about being a burden. But I'm not smart enough to know. So there you go. That was The Metamorphosis. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a story I certainly love. Uh, don't know what I'm going to read next, but I'm going to read something else before I dive into the picture of Dorian Gray. So, for uh, people in Lithuania, keep an eye out for that. Thanks for listening. <laughs>